This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely honoured to be joined on Football CFB this evening by a very special guest. If you've followed uh, football in, in the UK for the last couple of decades, you, you certainly know my guest tonight. He led Blackpool to the Premier League famously and played some great football along the way. He then led Crystal Palace to the promised land as well. He's also managed Bristol Rovers, a club that mean a lot to him. Two spells at QPR, as well as being at clubs such as Leicester, Plymouth and most recently Grimsby Town. I should have had Millwall there, of course, as well. Ian Holloway, thank you so much for joining me. Good evening, Callum. How are you, Sam? Yeah, not bad at all. And and, and as I say, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that you've agreed to come on the show. Yeah, no problem, mate. That looks pretty professional, that mic you got there. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I want to say... Cost a few quid, that one, mate. Cost a few quid. <laughs> it did, actually. Um, the first thing I want to say, um, I don't want to embarrass you when, when you're on, but I was. I just want to mention it because I was struggling about 18 months ago and I was in a really difficult place and you you sent me a, a lovely video message that really helped boost my spirits and, and it really did help me on the way to, to getting back on my feet, getting back to work. Um, I, I set this platform up a few months afterwards and, and I'm always grateful for that support that you gave me and how you've stayed in touch with me since. So I just want to go on record before we start talking about your career that I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Mate, I'm always there to try and help people. You know, we all we all have a, a battle with our minds because events happen in life sometimes that we, we, we can't deal with, you know, and um, as long as we keep checking ourselves and we got people around us who can help us, respond in a positive way we get a chance of a positive outcome and you know really that that's a joy for me to do and you say I did something I don't think I did at all all I was there for you if you needed me and and I think you'll realize there's an awful lot of people will enjoy what you do and how you do it and uh, be there for you sometimes we don't realize that Absolutely. Well, as I say, I'm, I'm very grateful for it because during these times, it's tough. Um, we spoke off air about the, the current situation. It's a, it's a strange time in football and it's a strange time society, never mind football. How, how have you, what's your opinion being a football without crowds? You were obviously involved in the game recently, um, managing a stadium without crowds because of the situation. Was that really strange considering the career you had in the game with so many great clubs? Yeah, it was um, the most difficult year of my life last year, to be honest with you. I've had some ups and downs like we all do, but I was thoroughly enjoying when I took over at Grimsby and, and that was curtailed by a virus. And here we are, we're still stuck in it. Not sure whether we can ever do what we've ever done before. And football is supposed to continue without the main people that make football, which is the crowd. Um, it's quite surreal. Um, yes, 
it's an entertainment that we all need because we're we're all feeling a bit down. But you know what? what I'm dead against people losing their lives. You know, and um, I think football players and managers and everybody working the game are at risk. And I don't. I really want to see that if it's not necessary. So, um, you know, football clubs without crowds are never going to work. The people at the top might, but lower leagues aren't. So, you know. I just hope and pray that everybody um, eventually gets a jab, gets uh, a vaccine and it works and we can back to some sort of normality because really people need um, to socialise. And that's that's the most cruel thing of all of this. This is stopping us seeing our families, seeing our friends, um, getting that human contact that is a, a very natural an important thing for us. So, you know, I, I've always felt that football's like being part of a tribe and it's very tribal. It's the last sort of tribal thing that we've got and we've, as we've evolved and, and at the moment, going to a game without anybody there and trying to play it as you would before, it is almost impossible. So I've found last, last year the worst of my lifetime because I am missing the supporters and the show, you know, let me give me an example. The best way I can say it, a pantomime. If you went to a pantomime, it was a joy. You know, you're, the audience participation is immense. He's behind you and all of that nonsense. You wouldn't carry on doing a pantomime without a crowd, would you? <laughs> exactly. And unfortunately, football is being forced to carry on, whether it's safe or not. And all I will say on this, and I'll say it on record, I've said it before, how can it possibly, with the rules that we're being told to live to, don't go out, stay two metres apart, how can it be safe to play? <laughs> it's, it's a million-dollar question. I, t- I totally agree with you. <laughs> how can it be safe to play? Good gracious me. But never mind. We all want something to watch, but let's hope the people doing it don't die because they're doing it. Absolutely, completely um, echo that sentiment. The the first thing I want to discuss with you is your, your playing career because so many listeners to this will know you as Ian Holloway, the manager, and the achievements, which we'll discuss as well. But you had three spells at Bristol Rovers. You were also at QPR as a player, Wimbledon, Brentford, Torquay. How would you describe yourself as a player to, to maybe younger listeners that don't remember that stage of your career? Um. I, I can't imagine too many people do remember that stage of my career. It's been a long, long time, son. Um, it was something I always wanted to do from my, when I was six years old. I can remember actually talking about to my friends, that's what I want to do. And I tried, I tried to learn and do whatever I could. Um, it's, I, I think I did as well as I possibly could with what I had as a natural natural um, ability. Um, and I feel that that was something that my dad instilled into me, you know, because he wanted to be a player and he he, he left at 18. He, he, he was offered a contract for Subers and um, he waited and waited and waited by Bert Tannen. He got fed up waiting, went into the Navy Um and never quite made it. So he, he said, to me, if, if you don't make it, let it be through lack of ability rather than lack of effort. So that was a, a real 
moment in my life that I took that in. And he also said, if you, you know, as long as you've tried your best, that doesn't matter. So really, I don't think I could have done any better. You know, Jerry Francis took me to QPR all those days, every single day. It's an honor to wear a shirt for anybody who, who supports that club, you know, and I don't think there was one day I might have had terrible games. I didn't mean to, but I never, ever, ever gave in because I always believed that the team could come back, you know, because I believe life is about regaining the ascendancy because you'll all lose it at times. Um, so I was very, very fortunate to have, to have been able to play for as many years as I did. I played in all the divisions, Torquay, where I had glandular fever. I didn't know I had it and it knocked me when I went to Brentford. Um, I got labelled their second worst player in history. I was gutted. I want to be their worst player in history, but <laughs> the second worst player. I mean, that's a total insult, really. But, you know, um, you got to be first. So, you know, I've had my fair share of things not going right. You know, my girlfriend at the time had, had cancer. She had a one in three chance of getting over it. She got over it. I helped to do that. We got married. We were told we couldn't have kids. We got four children, three of them are profoundly deaf. So I learned sign language. All of that happened in my football career. And I wasn't a natural believer in myself. I was someone who, who had worries, who had doubts, who, you know, like a normal person really. And, and I've had to overcome that. I've had to learn to live with that. And I've had to deal with failure. And, you know, long-term, it just makes you stronger. You just got to keep going, mate. You know, I, I feel like you need to be, imagine you're on a, on a wheel and you just keep going, you keep going. It, it's not all sparkles, you know? It isn't. Life is about dealing with things. So I, I, I thank my mum and dad for how they brought me up. I thank them for who they made me be. But there was always something in me that wanted to win. And, you know, anybody who knew, knew me as a kid, they with you, you know, he wanted to win. And I do some horrendous things when, when, you know, and obviously when, when I lost, but you could argue I've too many times, but that's life, you know, it, it, it is part of putting yourself back up again. And, you know, at the end of the day, my playing career was about as good as it had been um, because I don't think, I let one day go by without trying to get myself better, you know? And it wasn't until later on in my life when I played for Queen's Park Rangers with the people like Les Ferdinand and Ray Wilkins and some of the marvellous players, Clive Wilson, uh, Simon Barker. It, on, I swear to you, we, we finished fifth that year, Andy Sinton. And we were the, above the, your arsenals, above every other London club. It was, it was quite amazing. So I... I wasn't good enough to go any further, you know? And I sit here now and I listen to Roy Keane and I, I'm jealous because the bloke was, he's won seven titles. He was awesome. He, he affected everybody around him. I tried to mark him one day. I had the worst game of my life. I needed a groin operation the following day. And that's the truth. I needed, a, I couldn't stay with him. He was absolutely phenomenal. But if you ask him, he knows I tried to. And a lot of people just give in. So, I had a marvellous, marvellous time. I'm not sure how many games I got to. I think it's way over 600, probably just under 700. But can I remember every one of them now? No. 
did I enjoy every one of them, even if we lost? Yes, I did, because I believed we would beat them the next time we played them. One of the things that fascinates me about yourself, Ian, is the fact that when you enter management, you initially, um, you, you're initially sort of still playing towards the, 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 the beginning of your managerial career. What was it like being the manager of Bristol Rovers, but still being registered as a player and being able to contribute on the field? I'll be honest, I wouldn't have got the job if I, I filled a hole for him. I did two jobs for the price of one. Right, so they they lost their manager. They knew I could do that, and I had a blue contract, which was a footballer's contract, and they gave me four years. And I tell you, if you look at my the history of my first season, they would have sacked me as a manager before that. Right, that I would have gone, but because it was on a blue contract, they didn't want to. They had to pay me. I had some stability with it, you know. And and the weirdest thing was I was still playing all right. You know, I got man in a match once and we lost in a cup game. I went in the boardroom. I was the biggest evil. Well, I was like a turd on the floor, really, to be honest, if I can say that. But, you know, I got a, I said, well, what more do you want? I was man of the match, you know? Oh, yeah, you play. Well, I said, how can I deal with all of that? You know, it was it was almost impossible. Absolutely almost impossible. I was player manager. I had a assistant player uh, assistant manager was a player as well, Gary Penrose, and I had a, a physio who was also goalie coach, because that was Bristol Rovers for him. And it, it was it was what, but we had great fun. I swear to you, it, I look back on that now. It's probably my most pr proudest times because I was learning. I was I was enthusiastic. I was a bit aggressive to the reporters and the newspaper people. But in the end, it. it it finished horribly because they, I failed. We, we, we should have gone up. We didn't get in the playoffs. We dropped away. And um, the following year we sold all our strikers because they felt the board felt the uh, transfer market was going to collapse. So we sold Bobby Zamora, Nathan Ellington, uh, Jamie Cure and Jason Roberts. I lost 78 goals out of my team. Absolutely, absolutely disastrous. And then I got sacked and the Rovers fan said, you don't know what you're doing. I took my captain off. We were 2-0 down after 20 minutes. We lost 2-1. We actually improved after I took my captain off. Not that I remember it. <laughs> but when, when you come from the town and you've given your heart and soul for that club, it really what the fact do you know what I mean? And and they don't always know what's going on. And this is the whole beautiful thing. Have you ever watched Men in Black? Yes. Yeah. Anyone who's watched Men, if you haven't watched it, watch it. And that's what football's like in a football club. You're a football club. You haven't got a clue. There's zapping you. You ain't got a clue what's going on. And you never find out, even after a manager goes, you'll never find out the truth because managers aren't allowed to say, and they shouldn't do, in my opinion, they should take full responsibility for what happened and only at the time of where they are. You know, you can't blame a manager for going down if he's gone before they go down. You know, it, that don't make sense, but people do. So, you know, all I'm saying as a manager, anybody who's walked half a mile in those shoes knows exactly what I'm saying.
You know, I'm watching brilliant people getting all sorts of stick on the telly at the minute. And I feel for him because it ain't right. If you look at Sheffield United, they've just started to make a... He's been brilliant over the last three or four years. And in fact, everywhere, Chris Waldeen, he's never failed. And is he failing at the minute? No, I don't think so. He's had some terrible bad luck. They're still trying to play the way he did. And he does. It's his own mark. He's taking it to the Premier League. Look at the season. It's, you know, Steve Bruce last year, what he's doing. Look at it. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you you got no idea how tough it is trying to make decisions without the benefit of hindsight. And I would say... We're all missing the pubs that we go to because the hindsight managers in the pubs certainly <laughs> have an opinion and it's great because they can never be proved wrong, can they? Us managers, we do it and then we review it and then we try and redo it. Well, down the pub, I've never heard anyone admit they'd ever made a mistake. Oh, I wouldn't have played him. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't. Yeah, that's the right. If you watch him play and then, you know what I mean? It's the other way around, you know, and and we talk about this EA sport. It's brilliant that my son's really good at it. You know, the old football buying and selling and playing and and but they've all got Lionel Messi in their team or Ronaldo. How does that work? We're gonna have to clone people so we can all have a, the same people out there. It's just oh, it drives me insane. But life's amazing, and what football's done for me in my life, the people that I've met, you wouldn't believe. You know, the joy that I've had just through someone saying, oh, all right, mate, I support them and, and we have banter. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, and and that's the main reason, really. My dad, I have an older brother and an older sister, right? My dad tried to force my brother, John, to play. When I came along, he said, I hope you enjoy football, son, because through it, you'll meet some wonderful people. Now, I'm telling you, I'm talking to you. I'm... I don't. I haven't met you physically yet. We haven't done that, but I can see it there beyond your beautiful mic, and it's just marvelous, son. Because I feel your enthusiasm. Do you get what I mean? And yeah. that's what life is about, and that's what football gives people, you know. And the joy that they get when their team is doing well, and the support that they give when their team is having a nightmare, and they still keep going. It's unbelievable. So you know, that's what I love about football every owner should walk in a supporter's shoes for a day just to see what their g is duty of care is to make sure that he's doing exactly what he can it ain't all about him it's about getting that club in a better position and that's what my message is to them you know and that might lose me jobs i don't really care anymore i've had a wonderful innings of nearly a thousand games as a manager. Um, I think my record's 38%. And I've never had a belting job where I'm supposed to be favourite. So I've always been fighting. And um, all I can say, whether you like me, whether you hate me, who cares? I, I tried. And I can look myself in the mirror and say, yes, I have tried my best. And there's times where I felt at Palace that it wasn't going to go the way. So I actually said, well, hang on, then we got to sort this out. Someone else can do this. I even told Palace who they should take and they took a month to do it. Gave it to Tony Pulis and he got manager of the year, you know. 
football is about does it you is it there is that club for you and and it's very very difficult when you haven't played for a club you know rovers was easy for me probably too emotional for me but it's it's an absolute honor to have been given the trust to hold, hold the reins for however long you know I want, I want I want fans to know that you know every I, there isn't one person out there, manager who who doesn't truly appreciate and live, eat and sleep the job. There isn't, you know. Maybe they don't show it sometimes, but I'm telling you, I swear to you, they all know what a wonderful privilege it is. Does, do footballers feel that? No, not all of them. But managers do, coaches do. You, you mentioned how emotional Bristol Rovers was. You went from managing um, the club who you'd played for to another club that you'd played for in, in Queen's Park Rangers. Your first spell at the club, you go in there during a difficult period, the club goes down but you steady the ship and get them back up and then take them on in the championship to an 11th place, 11th placed finish, which you've got to say, given the circumstances you were into at the start is a, is a good achievement. Yeah, I, I did it on half the budget they had when they went down. And that, that was, that wouldn't happen now though. Jerry Francis left. We went down. I'd have been got rid of. That's the truth. And it took me three years and back to where they were. And I built it and we brought people and, and we were in administration and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, it, it teaches you things and you learn things. But really, it, it's all down to the people that came to the club at that time. And the great thing is you got, it's like making a huge cake. You need different ingredients. You put it in, you stir it around. And then at times, what was easier, you had a transfer window that was extended a lot longer. You could still get people on loan till I think it was the third Thursday in March. That, these windows has made it an awful lot harder. So um, the club was in a tumultuous state. Um, it had been badly administrated, badly run and was Leaking a hundred thousand a week and uh losing, and it, it was far too much for anybody to, to take on. So, luckily, I ended up getting it. I think Jerry Francis was a huge influence in that. He, he went the other way back to Bristol Rovers, um, and then he gave up, he packed in. But it was uh, I, I went there when I was 29, I played in the Premier League, so I thought my time would pass to get to there, you know, to get to the Premier League as a player. So it, that club meant everything to me. You know, some of the wonderful players, Ray Wilkins and, you know, Les Ferdinand. And, you know, I, 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 I can't tell you all. And they're marvellous, marvellous players. And, and we lost twice to, to Swindon that season, oh man away. Um, and, no one else lost to them that year. It was just us. It was like incredible. What on earth were we doing in those two games? Because, you know, we we could have been second with an extra six points. So, um, you know, it, it's all 
part of learning, isn't it? And and appreciating. And you imagine at 29 years old, I'm rocking in my chair thing and I want to do that. I want to do that. And Jerry Francis took me there. So can you imagine every day me on that training ground, the effort I put in? And he said, you might not ever play for us, but I want the way you train. I want you to rub off on them. And that's what I was all about, really. Teammates. And Ray Wilkins said to me, I'll play an extra two years for you, mate. Because you'll you'll extend that. You're chasing my man all over the place. Thanks very much. You're much better than you think you are as well, by the way. You know, and, and he, he had the encouragement that, that everybody needs, you know, a man of his stature. So I've had some marvelous times, you know, and, and it hasn't it hasn't all gone right at all. But you know, at the end of the day, you've got to keep bouncing back. Absolutely, and as I say, when you were when you were managing QPR, you you got you got the club to bounce back. You secured them in the championship again, which was where they wanted to be at. Following QPR, you had shorter spells with Plymouth and Leicester. What did you learn from those two jobs in particular? Yeah, listen, every single job is is totally different. You know, the board set up the structure of it. How many layers have you got above you? And what I mean by that is, is there just a chairman that you might be with? Is there a chief executive officer? Is there a director of football? Every one of them changes, you know, and QPR went, went wrong for me because the owners want to sell the club. Someone else took over. We borrowed his, it used his money to keep us afloat. So we managed to get promoted and they wanted to put their own manager in. So, um, I, I, my team fought for me. We won seven games in a row after a bad start um, when we went up. And in the end, it was imperative that they got what they wanted. So, you know, I ended up on gardening leave. I got the Plymouth job. I, I had an interview for the Plymouth job. Uh, one of the directors wasn't there. The interview went really well. Um, we had six directors so five of them in interviewed me um and as the season went on i got the job as the season went on the, the one that i didn't know i might not took the job if he was there i didn't get on with him for one minute then two of the others left and we were doing quite well so i got very frustrated but at the time my wife's mum unfortunately was very very ill. She was passed passed away at that time. Hey! Leave it. Sorry, my dogs are sorry enough. Um, so I was emotionally all over the place there. I asked for certain things with, at boardroom level to to reward my staff because I didn't think their money was good enough for the job we were doing. And and I it all came down to one person really. Turned down some money for one of my players. I wanted to double his money. It would wouldn't have put him out of it would have put him where he deserved to be in the end. They said no. So that was it for me. You know, that was it. That was it. I, I was finished and I, I just lost my temper really. But then I went to Leicester. We beat Leicester a few weeks earlier, 3-0. Um, and that was Milan Mandrich. And I walked into a situation which was a time bomb ticket and the bomb went off. So really deep down, the fans that I got on board at Plymouth, I let down. My players who were playing that well for me, I let down, you know, because personally, 
I fell out with the people running the club. So it less than I deserved to get the sack. I didn't change anything. It got worse. Um, I managed to help it financially by getting rid of some of the right people. I, I believe I got rid of people, um, some players, but you know, luckily for them, Nigel Pearson came in and took it on and did really well. So, you know, as I say, things in your life don't go the way you want. I'm not the only manager to ever go somewhere else thinking the grass is greener and it not be, you know. Um, so if, if you look at Luton Town, Jonesy went from Luton to Stoke and now he's back at Luton. And I'm, when he went, oh, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy, but. You, you, you don't know at the time and, and emotionally you're all over the place and, and, you know, it's all about your relationship with the board, really. It's all about your relationship with the people at the top and you understand where you're going. But the more experience you get, the stronger you need to be and the less you tolerate what you think's not going to work. So, you know, I'm at a stage now where I go, hold on, I can't do that. That ain't going to work. I'm not interested. Because, you know, it's tough enough anyway. You know, when you're younger you and when you're less experienced, you 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 put up with stuff. You try and make it work. But, oh, dear, you know, but what you can't you can't be undermined ever. And if the, if the board change, it's, it's almost impossible if you're in the middle of things. So, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, I've played nearly 700 games. I've managed nearly a thousand games. And it's hard enough as it is and the club needs a clean start and they need to be ready, you know, and Leicester did that and off it went, you know, Plymouth stuttered a bit, their old manager went back, but, you know, I was sick and fed up at Plymouth of, oh, Paul said this, Paul Sturrock was the manager who was successful before me, um, Tony Pugis went in for a short time and kept him up, I took the job, oh, uh, and the old chairman was talking to Paul all, all the time, thinks this, I said, well, I said, well, is he managing or me? It was like, it drove me insane, you know? But it, it's a bit of fun, you know, now I can look at it as a bit of fun, but that's all learning, you know? And the game the, the game as of management has changed so much now with people of Bramovich, like, slapping you, sacking you, whatever, you know? Is that, it's more like Italy used to be, you know? It's that brutal, isn't it? You are a first-team coach and in you come and, you know, if you get a, director of football, I've worked with one of them at QPR, you know, it, is it your say, is it their say on the signings? You know, you, all you got to try and do is, is, is try and get your club to be harmonious. And that's the problem because the fan base don't like stuff. They start and if it gets too loud, someone's going to have to bite the bullet. And in those two clubs, I won't be liked because it didn't work. It was nearly working with one. I jumped out of it. They don't like that. I went into the other one. They'd be happy that I didn't do it. And such is life. But, you know, I never, ever meant to do any harm. If you think I did, that's your choice. But, you know, at the end of the day, would I have got other jobs after that if I did that bad a job? Because they all ring each other. They all phone up and find out what was he like, what happened there. And it's all about that at the end of the day. How much you make and how much you do, you know. Absolutely frightening. I got to one stage where I I think the buying and selling of players 
when I worked it out, I got to nearly 130 million before I got promoted to the Premier League. And then I got two teams promoted to the Premier League. That got them nearly 250 million. So, you know, for all the failures I've had, I've helped a couple of places get where they need to get. So, and it was a joy doing it. But, you know, as I say, every day you go in, you try and help people be better people, you know, and you try and put a structure in place. So uh, those two, however people see it, it was an honour and it was a joy, you know, to, see, to be there and to have them. See, after those two jobs in particular, you take almost a year out of the game before going to Blackpool. What what did you learn in that year out of football? Was it tough taking time out of football given the fact that you had played for so many years and you, you had then been a manager for, for over a decade? No, I needed a break. I don't think you realise the, you know, the emotion of every week. You're the one who's got to like, front it all. And um, sometimes who's there for you? You know, who motivates the motivator? And I didn't realise I was getting, you know, with, with my wife losing her mum, it, it was, you try and be strong, you try and carry it. It was a huge thing, absolutely huge, tumultuous time in my life, you know. But as I say, you, you've got to try and come through it. So what I did, I rethought, I revised I got a great mate, and if anybody who knows me, it's Gary Penrose, who, who I played with, um, who I've known since he was eight and I was nine. Um, played in the junior sides together, Longwell Green Juniors, and up he goes. And um, he went into non-league. I was an apprentice at Rovers. He got released by Bristol City, and then he came back in, scoring goals left, right, and centre. Went to Aston Villa, QPR, and all of those things. So we've been great mates, and. Um, I brought him in as my assistant manager. Then he moved into the the scouting side of things. He's been doing that for years and years and he's currently at Celtic. So, you know, what was your question? I'm gone off on Penny. Um, just um, you, how you recouped after a year out of the game after Leicester. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Sorry. Yes, yeah, so he came to me and said, look, you, you're... I like art. I've always been. He said, you were an artist. You you wanted your team to... We played with a bit like Sheffield United at Bristol Rovers, you know, and it didn't... We, we missed out, but I had overlapping uh, centre-backs playing a back three. They would overlap the right, right-sided right wing-back and away we go. And, you know, he said, go and be creative. You And, and I realised I was too worried about losing. So... I went to Spain, I watched Atletico Madrid, I watched the national team, I watched Real Madrid train, I came back, I watched about, luckily I got some work in the media, I watched some football, I watched Man United four times in a row, talking on um, uh, Talk Sport and uh, BBC Sport. So I kept my eye in, but I, I was studying what they were doing, it was different, very, very different. You know, um, their midfield will be jumping up for it. And, and I, I logged it all. And, and Swansea was the one that made me realise that you can attack. And I, I made every, I wrote down where I wanted people to be every time. That, and I moved the ball to in the different areas of the pitch. And I gave it to every single player. So I worked out where I wanted the other one to be. And then I 
tried to find a team that could do that, that was ready. And I felt when Blackpool came up, they could defend really well. They had some great passers. And if I could bring four or five in, they had a great nucleus to do what I wanted to do. And I wasn't going to take anybody else saying that you couldn't do it, you know? So I went in to Blackpool and those lads just did that for me. But, you know, it, uh, me agent, don't go there. If you, if you fail there, you're never going to get another job. I said, well, I might not get another one anyway. So I got to do it, you know, and it is what it is. And the balance of the people and, and you know, that. but I, I sat down and I drew what I wanted to do. I, I did it. And I added all the four elements of the top coaches. I'd accidentally come into that, right? Because of attacking and having an attacking plan, the defending that they were quite good at took care of itself to a point until I linked it together. And I asked them to change, instead of running back towards your goal, just for six seconds, can you try and win it where it is? So they were quite good at doing that anyway. So they became, they loved that side of things. And we got some long passes. I got some people in and, and you know, at the end of the day, they made my plan work. I think it's really important to understand that they made my plan work. In terms of Blackpool and that plan and putting it into operation and making sure it worked, one of the players I need to ask you about because you were influential in his career, he said as much on record many times. Charlie Adam, obviously, I'm from Scotland. I'd watched Charlie when he came through the system at Rangers, he'd been on loan at St. Mirren in the championship up here. And he was always a good footballer. He was good on the ball. But with all due respect to Charlie, you couldn't see him go on to be a mainstay in that Rangers team at the time when they had the likes of Barry Ferguson and others. You took him to Blackpool and you made him the mainstay of that team, so much so that he was dictating games even when you got to the Premier League. But to focus on the championship season first and the promotion-winning campaign, how crucial was he in that season with his creativity to what you wanted to achieve, as you've talked about, with the attack in football? Well, the truth is, Charlie was, our contact with Rangers was nothing to do with me. Charlie was already there. He played the last end of the last season before I was manager. Tony Parks brought him there. But the main culprit, the main person who deserves credit was a fellow called Matt Williams who did four jobs at the club and he helped me immensely. He should have been chief executive officer but he never got that title but he helped me tremendously and he gave, the minute I got the job he gave me all the, the season's video, right, so I watched all of it and I thought, who is this fella? I loved how calm he was with the ball I, I loved Keith Summer and how he got around the pitch and I wanted to play three in there and I wanted them to be interchanging all the time um, and as a player I never played in a three it was always 4-4-2 four, four, I never ever played in a three so this was what I was thinking about and and it excited me myself as a as a as a midfield player and I just thought this boy is so comfortable with all I need him and it was it ended up more or less a, a free roll for him. So we borrowed him off of Rangers. The second I get in, we have a board meeting 
and I say, I want to try and get this kid back. Right? And if we can buy him, I think you should buy him. So we asked and we managed to do it. Um, and he'll tell you the balance of what I wanted him to do compared to what I wanted, compared with what I wanted Keith Sovereign to do and David Vaughan. It was almost the perfect balance because Charlie, the other two would kick their grandmother and they could both play and both pass. And they'd let Charlie go and wander and go and do what sometimes discipline-wise he wasn't always where he needed to be because he wanted to create so much. He got 19 goals from the centre of midfield. And sometimes he'd pop up and get it. He knew I wanted it to it. I wanted to switch the ball from one defensive area to a, the opposite forward area with a huge long diagonal because I felt that's where the space was. So when I say that, can you do that? Good gracious me, could he do it? So it, it's, it was candy, wasn't it? Candy in a sweet shop to him, you know? Can you do that? Oh, yeah, go on in. Go and have another bar then, go on. And he would pop up, but they could all do it in the end. And at first they couldn't. They had the concept, but, you know, in the end of the day, we always had a plan to go back to. And, and the thing is, you need to prove to your lads that you're going to take the thing forward. Everybody wants to be part of something successful and it needs some energy. And because the lads love Charlie and they all got on so well with him and they appreciated how good he was, when I got him back, that was, oh my God, we signed Charlie. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh my God. The same effect with DJ Campbell. We borrowed him from Leicester. When I was at Leicester, Right, he didn't want to play for me because I took his manager's job. Martin Allen signed him, and DJ liked Martin Allen, so you know. But at Blackpool, it was it was he was a major success as well as Charlie was. So I wanted those people. Luckily for me, I managed to sign three or four players straight away. Bang! You know the money was put across by the Latvian. Carl Oyston said, "Don't do it," but he. He was quite pleased that we were moving forward and he was and he was a tremendous help to me, although the fans won't like me saying that. He was. He actually never, never, as long as I could prove what I wanted and I could prove that I needed it, it happened. But I had to prove that. So, you know, we had, we had a very good relationship along with him and Matt Williams. Steve Thompson was brilliant. And there was only three of us. Right, so... You know, at the end of the day, the lads themselves, the, the format we had twerked it. We, we borrowed people on half their money um, so that their club would pay half, we would pay half, and, and they we got them playing. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, the catalyst, I, I lost my right back just before the end of the season. We had in Neil Erdley, who, who we paid money for, for, from Oldham. And it could have been a catastrophe, but luckily... My scout got me Seamus Coleman on loan from Everton. And, oh, my God, we I think we drew one game, lost one, and won the others. You know, so, and and he was massive in, in part of that. He was like a, a winger playing it right back. You know, it, it, was, it was wonderful. So, the whole time, it was like a fairy tale because the fans made it so wonderful, you know. They had a song. This is the best trip 
we've ever been on. And we, they were singing it even when we were losing. It's unheard of. It was amazing. And everywhere we went, they loved what we were trying to do. And the funny thing is, when we when we were successful, other people liked us as well because we took the game to away grounds. We tried to win away from home, you know? And maybe we didn't because we weren't good enough, but we tried to. I think Everton was unbelievable. I think we lost 5-3, you know? And we went from 3-1 up to 5-3 down. But, you know, at the end of the day, we had a go. And, you know, that, that was the whole point. What I want to ask you about the Championship season before we talk about the Premier League, when we look at that season in the Championship, Newcastle United won it with over 100 points. West Brom go up automatically. Then you look at the sides that were in the playoffs. Nottingham Forest, a massive club as we know. Cardiff, who at that time were always the team that were supposed to be the team that were going to make the next step to the Premier League. Former club Leicester as well. When you get to the playoffs, obviously hindsight's a beautiful thing. Did you believe you could get promoted with the side that you'd had at that time, even though you were up against some top opposition? I've got to be honest, from the first day I met the lads, I said, someone's going to go up this year, three people. Why can't one of them be us? Wow. What, I want to, what I want to do is I want to try and do some training that I think Premier League players do. And it's in your mind and it's so quick. i got to get you thinking quicker. I think you've got the ability. I'll be bringing people in who've got that ability. And I want you to understand three or four passes ahead of what we're trying to do. And we had a plan. We've got going to get it on side of the pitch, try and get in. If we can't, we're going to work the switch. And and it became habitual with the training. And I did different things. I'd never seen them before. I invented them while I was having that sabbatical for a year. And I'm just going to make sure you do them. And even when it the training ground was closed and we had to train on the beach, I still did that pattern. And at first, oh, God, here we go. At first, it was that. In the end, they got to really enjoy it. They got to understand what they were doing. And, and you know, basically, they got in good habits. You know, I honestly, you know, the run we were on at the end, the times we went behind and we came back, I, I had every hope that they would get what they deserved out of the season, which was a massive bonus that they knew they could get a financial reward if they did well. And all it did, it didn't make them uh, be paid astronomically if they achieved it. It made them get what an average club would get in the championship. And that sum of money that I used to just Write it on the board, let them focus. Go on, five million. Go on. You got an equal share per game, how many you get, and, and it was worked out. I don't know what, something like a 100, 150 quid a game. If you, and however many you played. So if you played 46, that's a nice wallop to make up your money, you know. And at the end of the day, I kept saying, You deserve this. Ain't my fault where are we? It's not my fault I'm here. You know, Carl Oyston said to me, You're all unwanted clubs so you're all unwanted all of you you know even with Charlie Rangers don't want you you know Rangers don't want you we'll have you you know and and it was a bunch of misfits we called it 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 was like come on 
let's do what we can do. But I, I told them that I was not gonna, I was not gonna let them fall short on what made me a player, which was training harder than anyone. I was gonna make sure that they think and play and train like a top professional would. But it was them, I swear to you, it was the personalities we had, it was the banks that we had, it was when it went wrong, what they said, when someone didn't do something right and what they said to them. Because not everything's not encouragement. Sometimes you've got to give someone an hammer it and show them that you mean it. And that's what's missing in today. You've got no crowd on you. You know? But our crowd made it a pleasure to be at home. And I can't stress that enough. They made it an absolute pleasure for my lads to try and express themselves and that they were enjoying it. And bear in mind, we drew the first four games of the season. But I continued with it. And then the, our first win, I think, was 4-1 at home to a Premier League side. Wigan. And I changed the team and we went on from there. But, you know, it, it was... Did I know it would work? I hoped it would. But it was something that I was driven to do. And for me, I found a bunch of like-minded people who wanted to knuckle down and do it. So, you know, in the end, it came down to a draw against Bristol City at home, the last game of the season. If Swansea would have won, we would have dropped out of it. The second we managed to do that, I totally and utterly fancied us. Honestly, I totally... We'd beaten Nottingham Forest home and away that year already. We'd beaten 1-0 at home, 3-1 uh, at home, 1-0 away. And they had a brilliant home record. So I said, lad, we've already proved we've done that. Let's try and do it again. It's going to be tough, but let's try and do it again. And then as when, when it came to Cardiff, we'd know we'd already, I think we drew with them. Uh, you know, so it'll all be on the day. Somewhat and luckily for me, luckily from Leicester, and I know their fans will hate me anyway, but Leicester, by them not, beating Cardiff and Cardiff beating them that allowed me to have DJ for the final right and DJ as you know he didn't score he he, he got us through in, in the semi-final scored a hat-trick and he had the shot that got Brett the rebound bang do you know what I mean unbelievable see in terms of that see in terms of that final you talked about the the attitude that you'd instilled in the players you go behind twice in that game at Wembley. You keep going. You come back. Charlie scores. Gary Taylor Fletcher. And you mentioned Brett gets the winner. Just sum up that the emotion of that whole day. Because as a football fan, you mentioned it earlier. Blackpool became everybody's second club. People were just willing you and the players to do it because you were playing the game the right way. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful football story. Well, the thing about the thing about our style, we wanted to always get the next goal. So your game plan never gets broken. If you let one in, you're always trying to get the next goal anyway. If you go 1-0 up, you're always trying to get the next goal. So when we went 1-0 down, that had happened quite recently in, in the weeks. That, but we'd always come back. So I said, in, in these most important games, if you score a punch, a throw, that don't mean you've won. Right? You get one chance to win this game. You've got to keep going and you've got to regain the ascendancy if it goes. And they were ready to do that. Mentally, they were ready. 
Notts Forest. We went one behind, right? And I always said, it's all about, yeah, you take the punch, hit them back, and then that you might regain the ascendancy. So we were almost trained in to do it men mentally. And that's what I'm saying about the lads themselves. They were ready. They were primed. They were at it. They were, if someone didn't train properly, they would be having an argument coming off. That wasn't me. That was them. You know, and I know I banged on about it at the start, but that was them wanting to succeed. And it, and I kept saying, is, is it the skill that will get you there or is it the will? Or is it a balance of skill and will? For me, the best players in the world, they can lose. Messi, he's been done 8-1 in one of his games, right? But most of the time he's at it and he's on it. So anybody can win. It's about the skill and the will at the right time and finding that performance and never putting up with someone taking it off you. And then, you know, never. I had a massive row with one of my players once. Roy, one of the best players I've ever played with, Roy Wegley. He gave it away. He lost it. He let his bloke run. I had to run back. I'd made a run for him. I had to run back. I tackled his bloke and he didn't move a muscle. So at the end of the game, I went, what are you doing? Oh, it was fate, Ollie. I said, why didn't you chase him? Why didn't you? Oh, no, he was meant to tackle me. I said, no, no, you're supposed to chase back. You can run like I do. Any chance. It ain't fate, mate. You're going to play in my team. You work as hard as I do. And the other lads went, oh, you can't talk to Roy. Like, oh, yes, I can. He's in my team. <laughs> You want to win something, sort your life out. Don't just like stand there waiting for us to win the ball back for you. So, you know, that it, it, I, it's just total. You know, to max who you are, what you got, you have to be at it no matter what. And, and I'm sorry, let's go back to last season, season before. We've seen some marvellous, marvellous football. <coughs> Liverpool, Man City, all that. Let's just mention them two, really, because they've been both outstanding for the last... And how hard did their full work? How hard? Without the ball. Who chases? Who wins it? Who, you know what I mean? They're all over you like a rash. So, hang on a minute. Do we just sit back and look at the lovely stuff they do? <coughs> Some people do. The real people don't. You know? And if you want to win anything, you've got to be at it together. My lads, we if we lose it, six seconds, we try and win it back. Like a blur. If they get through that press, then we've got to get our defensive structure, right? But don't lose it and then run back in your defensive structure. That ain't no good, you know? <clears throat> now, we, we weren't good enough in the end to do that in the Premier League. We tried. We got 39 points. How many times would 39 points keep you up? 39 points. Last year, last year, yeah, last year we'd have been halfway, but that's life, you know. But <clears throat> all I can say, it was an absolute joy every minute of every day, even when we lost, because the lads came back in and they did what we wanted. They understood the difference between tactics and principles of play. You know, a principle of play, if you've got three at the back or four at the back, it's the same. We press the ball after we lose it for six seconds, lads. Don't matter what shape we're in, all right? Don't matter. And we had a change. We had a change. We had to go from four. 
it, the way I wanted to play was two, three, two, three when we were attacking. That folded back into a, a four, five, one. Right? Sometimes it was a four, three, three, and I left two of them up. <clears throat> I would gamble. But in lots of games, we had to go three, four, three. And they knew both those changes. And that got us out of jail time and time again in that season where we came from behind, we put it forward. We went from being a footballing team hitting them diagonals and I stopped the football and we just hit long diagonals and I put extra body up there and I put an extra man in midfield. And we got back and we won games time and time again because of that tactic. And the lads knew it, they understood it and they did it. So when you credit to them. <coughs> when you got to the Premier League, one of the things that, again, was so inspiring to everyone, um, I, I mentioned the fact that Blackpool became everyone's second team. When you got to the Premier League, you didn't change those principles. You beat Wigan, as you rightly said, by scoring four goals. You went to Anfield and beat Liverpool. Luke Varney famously scoring that day. You had big moments, big results in the Premier League. And, and I think you're right, 39 points is an incredible total when you consider where that, that would that would have you pushing for Europa League this season of all seasons, probably. Um, it's just incredible when, when you look back at that season in the Premier League. I know ultimately the club goes back down, but you left an incredible mark in the Premier League and you became everyone's favourite football manager other than their own, I think, that year. Well, the funny thing is no one had ever got promoted from the Championship on our budget. With the bonuses, the budget was 10 million, right? The minimum anybody spent before that was 16. So, you know, and the bonus figure was 5 million the lads got because they were successful. So really our budget was 5 million, you know, a third of it. But as Carl Oyston quite rightly said, what is wrong with having a target for you to work for. So if you do well, go and get it. Go on, that's your target. What is wrong with earning that and then earning a bonus because you've been successful? And I agree with him. I thought it was totally right. But, you know, some of the lads I got, they took a cut to come to us, to play for us. And I kept saying that it'll be a stepping stone. We'll move you on, you know. And unfortunately, we didn't always stick to that. Charlie had a clause in his contract about a top six, top six club. If one of them comes into him, he won't stand in his way. Um, Liverpool came in. They were seventh at the time. So his agent knew about it. They, oh, you know, So he came in the chairman's office, sat down. Uh, what position are they? Who is it? I, I promised you I'd sell you to a top six club. And they're seventh. So get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> I went, Carl, you got to do it. It's Liverpool, mate. That you know, it's Liverpool. And he went, No, I'm a man of my word. My word is top six. Get out. You're our best player. I'm not going to sell you, and I don't want to do what your manager wants to do with the money, because I was gonna, I was gonna get four players for like Charlie and let him go, and we'd have moved on, and the lads would have, we we I felt we'd have actually been stronger, but. Maybe I pushed it too much, you know. Maybe I should have just gone for two of it. But that's life, you know. It is what it is. In the end, Charlie went to Liverpool. We got relegated. Second half that season, 
we got 11 points. First half, we got 28. Mm. And, but we also lost my goalie. So life, life was about being true to your word. And, and you know, that, that was a major, major problem. One of the you guys know, I've got to ask you about um, in terms of transfers, Mehdi Benatia, he went on to play for Juventus. He was linked to Manchester United. You nearly got him to Blackpool. Yeah, we, we'd almost done the deal, um, but I needed to watch him live. So um, it's just gospel truth. Gary Penrose had, had told me about him and how good he is. And he said, Ollie, I still want you to go and see him. So I get on a flight. It was icy. Um, I said to Carl, look, you've done the deal already. Are you going to do that? He went, yeah, yeah, if you, if you like him, go on in. So anyway, anyway, I get on a flight, I go over. It was uh, terrifying, really. The train went like twice the speed of our trains and I'm sat at, uh, I can't pronounce it, S-A-N-E. Saint, Saint, Saint. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm sat there. I watched him for two minutes. I thought, good God, this kid's brilliant. So I rung Carl, do the deal. He said, what do you mean? The game ain't finished yet. I said, I've been looking for a centre-half like this for years, just do the deal. Anyway, it fell through. He ended up going to... Um, Udinese, I think it was. Udinese, yeah. Udinese, and they gave him a four-year contract. They then sold him on for £23 million, And I rung Carl up the night he scored in the Champions League final and said, look who you've missed out on. The other one was at the time was, was Jamie Vardy as well. You know, he went to Leicester. He probably he probably would have gone to Leicester, to be honest. But we we were in we were in for him. We were ready to try and pounce him from Fleetwood. You know, because of Mickey Mellon told me, Ollie, he's absolutely brilliant. He's going to play for England. That's gospel truth. Mickey Mellon said this kid is someone else. So we played him in the cup. We won five one. He scored, and I tried to get him done. But you know, it's it's great the ones you get, and it's terrible the ones you miss sometimes. But you know, that, that's football for you. It is football, and, and, and you go down um, that season at Old Trafford, Sir Alex Ferguson's side, end up scoring a couple of goals. Michael Owen gets on the score sheet, I remember, as well. How how tough was that? It was 2-1 up with 20 so minutes close. to go, mate. So close. Keith Sover missed the sitter in the first minute. But that's life, you know, and, and I mean, what a joy. What a joy that is for... Sir, Sir Alec, who's, who'd worked so hard all his life to be able to bring on Michael Owen. In the first game at our place, we were 2-0 up. He brought off Wayne Rooney, put on Ryan Giggs, put on Berbatov. I mean, come on. We lost, we lost so many points in the last 20 minutes. And at the end of that season, I got a letter saying sorry from the referees because they found mistakes by referees cost me nine points but that's life we still had a hell of a run at it it is what it is uh, Blackpool fans will never forget it unfortunately they had some terrible things to deal with after that you know they fell out with Carl and you know it's very very sad it was very very sad <clears throat> at the end of it it was. it was a wonderful time a wonderful time indeed. You, you you stayed at the club the next season, almost got them back to the Premier League again, um, which was which was incredible. And then your next step is Crystal Palace. You go in there, you get Crystal Palace promoted again at Wembley. 
Two players I want to ask you about, both at completely different ends of their career when you worked with them that year. Number one being Wilfred Zaha. How good was he to work with? And number two, talk me through Kevin Phillips because what a footballer he was and what a finisher. Yeah, you got to, you got to look at who I just left it at it, it Blackpool. Tom Ince was playing out of his skin. Matt Phillips, who we got from Wickham, was fantastic. So I walked in and... Uh, the directors were telling me, oh, you got to see Wilf. He's absolutely brilliant. He's this, he's that. I thought, oh, all right then. Yeah, let's have a look then. And they had a song. <laughs> he's just too good for you. He's just too good for you. So I'm sat there in the first game um, against Blackburn Rovers and he did it over Danny, uh, Danny Murphy. Flicked it over his head in midfield and then started to run at the back four. And Danny looked, went like that and then looked over at the bench and went, what? It was unbelievable. You know, the kid, he was, he was just too good. You know, some of his performances, you know, I was very proud to, to have had him on the training ground, you know, him and Balassi. Um, we had little Johnny Williams as well, who could run with it as well. And I used to do things with them to run from the halfway line, taking each other on and they would love it. But it was, it was, uh, he could do things with a football that I've never seen. And I played with some great players, you know, honestly. But I've never seen anything like that. It is, he could almost make the... He could dance with the ball. He, he, used, he did it for me, you know, in the dressing room. Like, like what? To the music, like rolling it and... Oh, it's un unbelievable. You know, it's, it's a joy. And, I, you know, he's getting better all the time. I, I knew he'd be a top, top player. And he's getting better and better every time. As for Kevin Phillips, he's a machine. He was 39 years old. He, he was, I'd let him train twice a week with us. The, the other time he trained at home. Um, and he was always, never missed a game. If I wanted to pick him, he never moaned if I didn't. And he would just try and score. Um, and he was phenomenal. His technique and his mentality. And I said, well, have you always been like this? He went, no, no. I used to argue when, when I didn't get picked before. He, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying being 39 and still playing. So, you know, I've trained myself to be ready. Whenever you need me, Gaffer, I'll be ready. And, um, well, the, the bloke was a joy, mate. I, how fortunate was I, you know? And, and how unfortunate was I that it all ended like it did at Blackpool, you know? There was no way I could stay there at, um, at the end. Um, and that, so, you know, football always ends in tears, I have to say. And unfortunately, you know, when I look back, um, I'll have fond memories, uh, particularly of, of those two clubs because of, you know, standing at Wembley and, and actually seeing what it means to their fans in a big horseshoe down the other end when the other ones have gone. So I have felt the failure, West Ham beat us, as you rightly said. Um, first half they deserved to, second half I thought we were excellent and um, they scored against the run of play but well done to Sam, he got them back up like he said he would so Sam Allardyce, so you know it, it's all what it is mate it's um, days to remember and there's also lots of days you want to forget because it didn't go your way but that's life that's what it's all about. Last couple of questions Ian, um you, you obviously, after Crystal Palace of the spell at Millwall, you go back to QPR, most recently at Grimsby. You mentioned being so close to managing a 1,000 games. 
do you want to get back into management and do you are you desperate to see that a thousand because watching you on uh, quest with Colin Murray and on Sky it's clear that your hunger for the game is, has not diminished yeah my my hunger hasn't it's it's the people I'm dealing with do you know what I mean it's got to be about the players it's got to be about them getting better it's got to be about the supporters it's got to be about that it can't be about anything else you know and um It's tough, you know. I've, I've done an awful lot of years, and, and really, do I need to get to a thousand? You know, it, it it's all about how you feel, and and I've thoroughly enjoyed. I've had such a, I've had a couple of years where I've done this and done that, and my time at Sky. And when you see the other side of the media and and how enjoyable that can be, and you know, um. I, I'm really not sure yet. So the way the way I look at it is is um like Castaway, the film. Um you're waiting to see what the tide brings. And I'm I'm very, very fortunate. I I can make some choices if I want to stay home, I can. Um I don't have to do things that I don't want to do anymore. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to to be able to retire if I want. And I got to try and look at what it's like for my family and how they feel about things. You know, I got seven grandchildren, um, another one on the way. So you know, it's life. Life is about experiences, and if I can still share some of mine, you know, being a life coach, talking about how tough it's been, and because it's not easy, it's never, never, never easy, and you know them. Long, hard yards, the mental yards that you've got to deal with. You know, I'm sure um, I might be able to help someone along the way and do something because I got to do something because I can't just sit there. So, what I never do is stand still. I've got lots of other interests, um, and I practice all sorts of other things to try and get good at it. I want to learn the saxophone. Um, I'm going to concentrate on that for a bit and I want to continue with my art. I absolutely love art, sketching, drawing, and I'm encouraging my wife who, do, who does the same, but I will be sat down with my beautiful wife, Kim, and make sure that we look after everybody in our family and, and treasure each moment we have, because in this awful climate, not being funny, is you never know how much longer you're going to get, do you? That's, that's very true. and. Um... The last question I've got for you based on that sentiment, what advice would you give to, to anyone who wants to make a career in the game? And what would you say to, to the fans that have supported your clubs over the years who have enjoyed what you've given the game? Well, if you've enjoyed it or not enjoyed it, I, I just want to thank you. I, I think it's um it's generally been an absolute pleasure. Every shirt I've tried to put on, I never meant to have a bag. And if I did, I'm sorry. But, you know, at the end of the day, I... You, you try and leave a mark on life, and and by keeping going. And I, you know, we all get knocked down sometimes. It's about getting straight back up and having another go. You know, so never be, be scared to go in the arena. Never, never, never ever, don't try something because for me, you failed. Then life's all about trying and then retrying really and keep going. And uh, and just try and deal with your response to whatever happens to you. 
because you can't deal with the event and it might not be a fair one, right? But your response has a chance to make a positive ending. The outcome could be positive if you have a positive response, particularly in this time. How much good news? There should be a good news channel where people are out there looking for good news to make sure we all hang on a minute. Look what this fella's done. And, you know, like the poor hundred year old who's just passed away, you know, unbelievable what he did purely unselfish to help everybody. And that was his nature. And, you know, we need to do that now. So please make sure we all have a positive response. And if you didn't feel like doing that to me when I was your manager, all I can say is, I'm sorry I let you down, but it weren't for a lack of trying. From the bottom of my heart, Ian, thank you for the support that you've given me personally. And thank you so much for giving me your time tonight. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Good luck, young man. Keep going. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be 